the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again, welcome to the show. Coming up the latest on the flooding and the roads and isolation situation and also wool prices. They fell dramatically at auctions this week with brokers describing the situation as a bloodbath for the market. Some saying wool is now at its lowest point in more than a decade which historically now we're going back into October, November 16, 17 type levels in Australian terms. And alarmingly, in US dollar terms, it's dropped to 8.20, so off 14 cents. But that takes us right back to levels at 2010, I believe. As a result of the war uh, against Ukraine by Russia and also uh, oil prices, a whole range of issues impacting on the war price. Uh, you can always send us a text through the country hour about the flooding situation, the war market, uh, native vegetation. We'll also look at that issue shortly as well. 0467922684 is the number to text me here at the country hour. But first up today, will the floodwaters there? Well, they're slowly moving through the landscape, very slowly, in uh, particularly in uh, the west of the state. Some regions, of course, in New South Wales have seen the worst flooding in more than 100 years. The clean-up is underway in some hard-hit communities, but to other areas still suffering. Burke still isolated to some degree, Louth as well, Tilpa. A lot of isolation on properties out that way and uh, a peak of floodwaters moving through uh, some areas. The last warning being issued, uh, hopefully, for Warren. Dave Rankin joins us from the SES. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. Thanks for having me. So in terms of the uh, isolation, so Burke's still isolated to the south and, uh, you know, you've got isolated properties, Tilpa, Louth, so big swathes of area uh, affected still by floodwaters. I guess we, we shouldn't forget that. Yeah, no, we've still seen really substantial flooding um, downstream of the likes of Brewarrina and Burke. Now, the flood peak on the Darling River passed through Burke last weekend, and uh, it is dropping very, very slowly. We're only really seeing the flood water in Burke drop a centimetre a day at the moment. So it's once it gets across the floodplain in that Darling River country, it, it does take a long time for it to, you know, to, to come down, and, and we are seeing some... The Mitchell Highway south of Burke still heavily impacted by flood water, and would be only vehicles getting through to the Burke community are emergency vehicles and heavy vehicles uh, doing resupply into the Burke community themselves. They, it's just an issue of maintaining the integrity of the road and not letting commercial heavy commercial vehicles and other um, you know vehicles on there. So. Very, very busy. So you're still needing to do drops and isolate, you know, people isolated, so you're still needing to do fodder drops too and uh, uh, also food drops and medicine drops for people on properties, things like that? Michael, we are. We're working very closely um, also with local land services. Um, Our liaison officer here in the Dubbo incident management team has been very busy with fodder drops um, to properties who in some cases, Michael, have seen isolation now for the best part of two and even three months in mm. some areas. And that's going to continue, isn't it? I mean, some people saying even till Easter. Well, well certainly as an organisation, we'll be managing flooding along the Bow and Darling system well into the new year as it meanders its way to south, eventually down to Wentworth on the Murray River. Um, the flood peak now is just between, um, say, Burke and uh, just past Burke. There is still a quite a significant um, distance for it to travel to make its way right the way there at the end of the Darling River. So, and that includes Menindee Lakes, 
getting through that complex. So there will be quite, quite uh, from our perspective, a few months yet of managing flooding right across the western part of the state. Mm. And people worried about being able to get their crops in, you know, for the for the winter cropping program because it's going to be yeah. so wet in the lead up to that as well. I mean, that's not strictly a, a, a flood emergency issue, but it's, you know, it's, a, it's an emergency issue for those people that are worried about their income for next year. Well, yeah, it's twofold too, isn't it, Michael? Unfortunately, there are so many wet paddocks right across pretty much all of western New South Wales that mm. You know, there are bog headers right across the places. People are trying to strip cereals and, 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 and canola crops. Um, so this hot harvest has been significantly impacted by the flooding. And um, certainly if the flood water recedes significantly between now and March or April, we may see certainly a full moisture profile in the soils. But, mm. um, but the ability for farmers to get you know, tractors on very waterlogged country may be, may be quite, quite difficult. Sorry. Um, that's all right no but i was just going to say too in terms of yeah and but we still need the rain to stop and there is still that talk that we are going to see uh from the from the bomb whether than averaged until january yeah look certainly the bureau briefing we received earlier this week regarding the la nina predictions has certainly brought it back a bit oh okay well that's good news there, there, there was talk some months ago about you know la nina possibly extending out until Easter, March, April. Um, there was probably a slight revision of that more towards January. So we are, I think, we're experiencing a week or so of beautiful weather pretty much across the state at the moment. Um, uh, but we're certainly, the weather than average conditions will certainly extend at least for the next sort of four or five weeks we expect. And hopefully we may see, see that sort of getting back to a more neutral position and there go less rainfall and, and uh, keep this flooding at bay. Yeah, and the situation, just before I let you go, uh, the Lachlan's still flooding there, some communities uh, clean up and water moving away in places like Forbes and Condo, but it's heading down the river, Boolagul, Daniloquin, still not out of the yep. woods, Moolamine. Yeah, no, there's certainly substantial flooding right the way down the Lachlan system, and look, I was only over in Yagara too the other day, let's uh, not forget about the Yagara community mm, who, mm. who two weeks ago devastating flooding and um, there's still it's going to be years to rebuild that community so we're working very hard over there with them and um, certainly the Lachlan system we, again like many of our western flowing rivers does take a while for the water to travel through communities so once again it needs to continue to make its way south and the likes of Bulldog and are, are in the, the Lachlan flooding sort of gun site at the moment and um, our volunteers and all the emergency services are doing a great job down there to help community members and property owners and what have you manage the flooding as it moves its way west towards, um, towards Murray. Dave Rankin from the SES, thanks for joining us and giving us an update on the program today. And look, I just want to say, Michael, if people do require resupply, we're doing a lot of it, just call us on 132500 and now we can start beginning that process and assisting you if it's required. Yeah, that's right. That's the easy one to remember, is it? 132500 uh, for, uh, for assistance there. And, and I guess you can put them on to other services if you, if you need to as well. Absolutely, yeah. All right. Good on you, Dave. Thanks for that. Thanks, Michael. Thanks Dave, for your support. Dave, Dave Rankin from the SES there. It's 12 past 12. You're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio, New South Wales. Just 
talking about Moulamine there. Well, it appears floodwaters may have finally peaked at Moulamine many weeks after the torrential rains that caused what's considered to be the worst flooding there for more than 100 years. But there's uh, no rest in sight for those battling the waters, which will take weeks, as we uh, were talking about there too, to recede, and they're revealing a trail of destruction in their wake. Rural reporter Angus Verley spoke to China Gibson, who farms on the Billabong Creek upstream of Moulamine. We hope we've reached the peak. That's the Edwards River, and uh, the Billabong flows into it. The Billabong is still rising, but it's only supplying uh, ten or 15,000 megs of that. We don't know, because a lot of it's unregulated. OK, so highest flows on record for, for both watercourses? Highest flows, highest height in Moulamine. I don't know about the flows, but the height in 1956, the last record like, that white man's got, is uh, was 6094 which is about 15, about 15 centimetres below this one. So highest we know. I don't know about 1917. I, I haven't seen records for that. There was probably no records kept. How have they got on in town? Have they managed to keep water out of most areas? They're battling in north of Moulamine, what they call Moulamine North. Um, some of the, one of the houses is right on the creek's edge, so there's no levee. Um, we lost one house on a little hobby farm south of Moulamine. That went through the house. Poor old girl, she's uh, got in her kitchen. But there's a lot of, fair few of the outskirts, little hobby farms where there's water under the houses now. I haven't heard of any in the houses except for just out of town. There's a lot of blokes having a battle. They're just 24-7 every two hours. They get up, check their pumps. They're just, they're getting flood flood fatigue, I call it. <laughs> they're getting cranky and tired. Well, fair enough. I mean, you're, you're quite a few weeks into it, aren't you? Oh, this mate's been, he's been, we started sandbagging his place over about a month and a half ago, just out of precaution. And we've just been building it ever since. He hasn't got a levee between him and the creek. He's, his house is on the creek's edge, which is a great place to live, but not good when you've got record floods. He's kept it out so far, kept it from going under his house and over his little block. There's levee banks, there's sandbags, there's everything. Whatever they can throw at it, they're all trying. And just plenty of man hours. The, um, the RFS, our local RFS station, the rural, rural fire service, is sort of running the show with their head honchos, and they've got volunteers coming from Western Australia, Sydney, everywhere around the state and interstate. And now the SES is starting to turn up in town. They've been busy elsewhere, but they're in town now. Jider, I understand that they're being well looked after with some some classic country cooking. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, put a, I do some notes every week. I just said, just put out there, like, if you want to help these volunteers, they're living away from home, they're all volunteers. Just drop some uh, cakes or slices in, and they've been getting pretty well fed by our local cook. So well done to everyone that... Threw something enough and took it down to our volunteers because if you've been lumping sandbags all day, you're really looking for a good smoker. We've been reporting a lot on the impact that all of this is having on livestock and particularly livestock getting stranded and people using helicopters and whatever they can to rescue those stranded stock. And you had another case of that in your area this week? Yeah, there's plenty of stock getting stuck. They just turn your back on them. I've got some out just in time for this fella. He got a thousand sheep stuck out on an island, full wool because he's trying to shear at the moment. So we borrowed a booze boat, a party boat we call them, with a fence rider on the outside, and he he's been carting. The sheep have got a party boat ride. He's promised new carpets for the owner. <laughs> Ninety trips, I think they work out there to do. I don't know how they got on, but I've seen photos of it, and the sheep look quite happy in the boat and the dog on top of the sheep. The owner looked a bit stressed. But yeah, the two sheep had helicopter rides, trailer rides, chase through water. Now they've got a party boat ride. So <laughs> whatever you've got to do to save animals. 
And you sent me those pictures, China, and I agree. The sheep do really look quite happy. So perhaps they know that uh, that what's going on is, is is saving their lives. Yeah, I'm surprised because yeah, they they look quite happy in there. The dog sitting on their back. It's it's a great photo, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And, and just another case, China. Just one one example of, of. I mean, everyone's got their own story, don't they? Oh, there's there's blokes just putting in, just volunteering for weeks. One fella who is. He's blocks under, so he's just been coming to town and helping everyone that needs help. He's been unreal. Oh, Nico, everyone knows who Nico is in Willamette. And plenty of others too, don't you worry. That The RFS has just stepped up, the local ones that have got time have just stepped up, and the whole community is just doing what they can to help each other out and help themselves, of course, too. China Gibson, who farms upstream of Moolamine on the Billabong Creek, and he was talking there to our reporter, Angus Verley. It's uh, 18 past 12. You're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio, New South Wales. We're talking about the damage bill. The New South Wales floods are now officially, they've been declared the most expensive flood event in the nation's history and one of the most devastating natural disasters of all time in Australia with a damage bill estimated at $5.5 billion. More than 130 local government areas have been affected. Uh, Disaster declared 55 in Victoria, 78 in New South Wales. So it's not surprising that people need help. And as a result, Rural Aid is ramping up the Buy a Bail campaign again. It was so successful during the drought. And John Walters, who's the CEO of Rural Aid, joins me now. Good afternoon. G'day, Michael. How are you? Very well. So obviously you saw the call out there. You had people that uh, were asking for assistance and you thought, well, let's give it a go. Buy a Bail was so useful in the drought. Let's, let's do it again this time for floods. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, by a bail, it, it, it was uh, raised so many millions of dollars um, that came through rural aid to be able to get those back to those families um, during the drought. And, and we really believe that the need and such as the scale of this disaster that it, it warrants bringing by a bail back. Um, it's, it's so well known to so many families right across the country and particularly in those metropolitan areas. And that's where we really feel... Um, the most good can come at this time is by our, our cousins in the city um, really jumping on board and, um, and, and digging deep to, to offer a helping hand to, to farming families at this time, especially with Christmas just around the corner, Michael. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And what are you hearing and what are you, what are you seeing on the ground and what are you hearing from people in terms of the help that they need? Oh, look, we're hearing so many stories, just uh, like the call, um, uh, the interview that you were, you were just featuring. Um, it, it, you don't have to look too far to find someone who, who's really um, experiencing all the challenges that a flood brings. But I, I guess the thing that we're really concerned right right now is, is what's this doing to, to the, the mental health and well-being of families, particularly as we lead into Christmas. Um, we, we know there's stress and there's anxiety there. We know that there's... Um, kids that are, are, are really suffering through this process as well, and then there's all the, all those physical um, um, costs um, as a result of the damage that's been been done. So um, look, we're, we're predicting that this is going to take us a good two or three years to recover um, from the situation in front of us and to to adequately support farmers and their families through this recovery po- process. We're estimating that that rural aid will need. Um, in the vicinity of $50 million to, to deliver that um, recovery to, to those farming families. Mm. And so what sort of uh, support do you think people need or what sort of support are people asking for? 
Oh, look, it, it's, it comes in, in different shapes and forms. And I guess mm. the, the first and foremost one is, is a, a few dollars that they can quickly get out and, 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 and meet those immediate needs that they have. And, so they um, need a bit of cash, that, some people do. A bit of cash. Look, cash yep. is always king. And, and, and the beauty of being able to get those dollars to people quickly is that they can often then go and spend them in their local community. And we know local businesses get hit just as hard as, as, as our farming families do. So that empowers people to, to, to make good decisions that, that help them. We know that there's going to be a real need for fodder. Pastures are going to be in a, in a pretty ordinary state um, once the water recedes. So there's going to be fodder assistance that's re required there. We know our councillors are, are, are receiving bucket loads of calls at this time and they will continue to well into the future. Um, so um, they're the things that we, we know that are really important um, right now, but also as part of that ongoing recovery piece that's still to come. And you sort of touched on it a bit, but it's a long-running event. We were hearing from the SES earlier, month, people have been affected by floods for months, uh, months more expected as well. And, of course, Christmas around the corner for families, you know, that, that's a concern as well. So you want to sort of do your bit to help out for Chrissy. Absolutely, and look, you, you, you're right. You go back to August. People were, were being dealing with floods back in August. Here we are, um, early December, and we've still got um, this, that same situation occurring. We know that flood peaks are, are on their way further down the the, the, the system. Um, um, so look, there's, there's a whole lot more of it to come. And for, if you're in South Australia. Um, just um, the irony of it all is that that the, the, the peak could well be around Christmas or, or just after. Mm. So, from from our perspective, we're, we're just saying um, now's the time, particularly um, to get the message into um, our city cousins in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, those big big metropolitan areas about what people are experiencing in rural Australia right here and now, the absolute need for a bit of help and support and a vehicle like Rule Aid being trusted um, to be able to, to get that help to, to people quickly. So you're talking about cash, you're talking about uh, also buying a bailer help out with fodder as well. How much money are you hoping to raise this time around? Oh, look, we, we, want, um, we want support to come from across the community and we're not asking mums and dads to do all of, all of that heavy lifting. We feel there's a role for businesses, big and small, to play and we really feel... Um, Did that, that happen in the drought the too? You got a bit of corporate support? Our corporates were, were, were really incredibly generous um, back to 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 our um, through buyer bail and rural aid to, to help out and 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 now's the time to, to do it again. We we know that some of our agricultural businesses have enjoyed a really successful um, year and many of the people impacted right now are their customers and we're saying you know what um, by helping out. Now you're helping out a customer and they'll be there, there to support you again in the future. So what goes around comes around is, is such a such an important part of life, isn't it? When you've got the ability to make um, a difference to help someone, you should absolutely do that. And, and that's what we're saying to people right here and now. Now, we just we touched on it there. So you, uh, uh, where, whereabouts are you in the Buy, buy a Bail campaign? Has it, uh, has it started up? Have you raised any money as yet? And have you started sort of thinking about the logistics of getting out and helping people with stuff? Uh, look, buy a bail. It, it's just, um, it's almost like day day one today, Michael, right, to, yep. to get get buy, buy a bail back out in front of people, and 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 with that, just to get these stories about what's happening on farm and in communities back onto onto television screens in our cities and back onto to radio in the city and get that message there. And um, and and when we can raise that awareness, we know that people um, have a 
um, a great desire to be a part of solving um, big problems like the ones that we, we're, we're seeing right now. So it's early days. Um, the other part of it, I guess, is that um, it, it's, it's, it's really, um, it's that message back to around Christmas time and what, and what sort of Christmas do you want people to have? To, and if you've got the ability to, to make it a good Christmas, then you, you should get in and, and, and make that um, that donation through buy a bail. So you're trying to uh, appeal to those people in the capital cities, to corporates, uh, to get behind it as well, uh, and anyone that might be listening in in rural areas that hasn't been flood affected, maybe a bit of extra cash they can think about uh, supporting or donating to rural aid as well. Uh, thanks for your time on the program today. No, wonderful, Michael, and um, um, well wishes out to all your listeners, and particularly those those people who are, are flood impacted at this time. Look, we're we understand your problem. We're doing our best to, to help and, and to rally the, the wider community to be there to, to support you as well. John Walters, who's the CEO of Rural Aid, and uh, to support Rural Aid and make a donation, you can do- go to uh, www.buyabail.com.au and uh, you can make a donation there. And uh, no doubt you'll be hearing more about that uh, that's that issue of Buy a Bail in the media over the coming months as well. 26 minutes past 12. The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Wool prices, they fell dramatically at auctions this week, with some brokers describing the situation as a bloodbath for the market. According to some measures, wool is now at its cheapest point in more than a decade. Wool broker Marty Moses says there are a lot of factors at play, and all of them are pretty bad. Look, we've seen a, a drop in the EMI, which is a broad indicator, um, of 32 cents down to 12.24, which historically now we're going back into October, November 16, 17 type levels in Australian terms. And alarmingly, in US dollar terms, it's dropped to 8.20, so off 14 cents. But that takes us right back to levels at 2010, I believe, uh, and, and maybe... Yeah, I've just got to do the finer ones. 829 it got to in 2015, and we're right back into 2010 where it dropped below that 820 mark. So, look, I mean, you know, and the, the principal underpinning factors here is just the world economies uh, suffering under inflation, high interest rates, high energy rates. You know, there's just this long list of negatives, wars between Russia and Ukraine, um, the UK's in a mess, you know, the whole world's just suffering enormously. So uh, wool is now the... at its cheapest point in US dollar terms for over a decade in 12 years. Yeah, that's that's right. And and that reflects, um, you know, if you think about pressures coming on the, the household expenditure, discretionary spend, um, you know, people aren't going to go out and spend money on luxury items, which wool is, uh, essentially. You know, the new suit, the, the new, uh, you know, t-shirt for running or you know next to skin wear type garment might just have that last that little bit longer and, and of course china are suffering under the um, president xi's shutdowns of of whole cities and industries if you like and china's uh, the of, biggest buyer by far of australian yeah. wool and so is that having a real impact given we've seen protests and the situation in china really ramping up this week yeah, absolutely. Even though China is still active, that they're you know in some sectors they they're buying selectively to keep mills running. There's no trading going on, uh, the, so the trading exporters are very quiet this week, operating largely for European and Indian orders uh, orders outside of China because the Chinese are just so quiet. There's uh, no confidence 
there at the moment. Uh, and as we've seen riots in the streets of, you know, university students uh, reacting to the shutdowns and, and the impact that's having. You're a wool broker. Uh, wool isn't the most perishable product. So are growers starting to hold on to their bales, given the market's falling so quickly? Look, um, there's been a couple of um, realms that we haven't seen for a while, which is in the in the height of spring, we've had a lot of the country up here in New South Wales flood affected. And so receivables have been below par for a month or two now as people either had shorn and couldn't move the wool off farm or have been landlocked. And that has slowed down receipts. In the last 10 to 12, 14 days, there's been no rain and things are starting to to um, you know, open up a bit, and, and receivables are really cranking now, which is a month or two behind our normal peaks in this region, and I suspect that's uh, been right across the the eastern seaboard. So we're going to get volumes into a, a market where it really probably can't handle it, and that that's more alarming now than uh, I think ever, because if China doesn't come back in, who are our volume buyers? Um, these thirty five, thirty three thousand bale offerings go to 45 or 50, um, then the market's in serious, uh, uh, you know, risk of, of falling even further. So despite you pointing out earlier that wool's almost at its cheapest price in 12 years, you think the markets could still have further to fall? Yeah, look, I think confidence is going to be difficult to reinstall. You know, there, there's some really big things happening all at once in the world, and most of them are negative. There's not a lot of positives there. So we're going to go through a pretty tough time. And I think, you know, there, there's this real uh, balancing act of some people have benefit, ben, benefited from COVID and, and the, the season and the war and others have really hurt. And I think Wool's done rather well over the past, especially the finer end, over the past 18 months to two years, with the exception of crossbreds, of course, which are just cheap, bumbling along the bottom and, and you know, not a lot of hope for a, a big rise coming at any time soon. So... But, you know, we've seen a massive drop in the the, the record highs we've seen in, in super fine wools. They're now coming back. 17 micron indicators dropped from $26 down to $21.33. Uh, so, you know, five it's bucks. a big drop. Yeah. Five bucks in anyone's languages, you know, regardless of where it's coming from, is a big movement. And, you know, state of confusion of do we hang on um, and wait for a the possible kick that might happen in 2023? You know, or is China just going to plough ahead under President Xi and he will act out his, um, his plan for COVID management? And will that just get people switching off wool in the manufacturing sector? Because uh, no one's going to take stock at levels, at any level, unless they know they can actually push it through the system. And I think, you know, that's the sort of, it's hard to get good feedback out of uh, the, you know, the Chinese news agencies, but we believe that's what's happening. And, um, you know, certainly not the expert there, but that's that's a big fundamental pain in the uh, the rear for the wool industry and others. Wallbroker Marty Moses from Moses and Son Wallbroker speaking there to Warwick Long. It's 28 minutes to one on the Country Hour. We'll be looking at the weather, some benign weather conditions around at the moment. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a sec. But before we do that, let's get some news headlines from Adam Story. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Michael. Uh, Chris Dawson, uh, who has been found guilty of the murder of his wife, Lynette, has today been sentenced. He's been in prison since August, since that guilty verdict. Today, he's been sentenced to a maximum of 24 years jail uh, with an on-parole period of uh, 18. 
uh, and that that sentence literally just uh, handed down a couple of minutes ago. Uh, meanwhile, as you're probably aware, the retrial of Bruce Lemon for the alleged rape of Brittany Higgins uh, Parliament House will not go ahead. It came after prosecutors uh, said that it posed an unacceptable risk to the life of the complainant. Medical experts raised concerns about the mental health of uh, Miss Higgins going into a second trial. Uh, the biggest changes to workplace laws in two decades have now passed Parliament. There was a rare uh, Friday morning sitting today of the uh, House of Representatives to get it through. Uh, there was talk of an actual sitting on Saturday. Uh, if a, Heavens above. Heaven, oh, I tell you, weren't <laughs> they up in gracious. arms about that? <laughs> <laughs> What's their annual salary again? Uh, I forget. They, they thought it'd be, yes, I think one, one person described it as outrageous. Oh, outrageous? <laughs> yes. Can't make outrageous. them come in on a weekend. Lord. Um, and interesting story in Sydney this morning. Um, Campbelltown Hospital apparently was offering um, spare wards uh, for hire for TV and movie companies as filming locations. Oh. And now it turns out that... Uh, uh, the health minister, Brad Hazard, says the tender was actually posted by just a single staff member without the knowledge of, ma- <laughs> knowledge of management. Come and film house here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, General I know, hospital. I don't know what the, uh, the cost per hour of renting the ward for the filming was, um, but the opposition has called on the government to explain why the wards were empty in the first place. Mm, yeah, so. <laughs> Please explain. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Well, was that was yeah. that money going to go back into yeah, general so. revenue, or was it going to go <laughs> to yeah, a so particular I don't know staff if they'd, uh, they'd had a had a tenant. Um, mm. <laughs> so whether filming has been delayed on the latest hospital drama. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We'll have to watch out and see whether well, the sign it says Campbelltown yeah, Hospital. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a quirky yeah, one. So there you go. Making some coin. I yeah, think. yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's you know that's free enterprise. That's innovation. For you. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks for that, Adam. Okay. I'll see you next Friday. Yes. Yes. We're off doing some outside broadcasts next week. So mm. Musselbrook and Tamworth and Moree and Scone next mm. week for outside broadcasts. We'll be so spared the comedy hour. <laughs> <laughs> As I was saying earlier, we'll give you some time to come up with some new material. <laughs> no more of that recycling. Me and the writers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the writer's desk. Get busy. Okay. Get to crack the whip. All right. Thanks for that. Adam's story there with the news headlines. It's uh, 25 minutes to one here on the country. Now let's find out what's happening with the weather details. Gabriel joins us now, Gabriel Woodhouse. Uh, uh, and in terms of the weather, benign conditions, is that how you describe it generally? Uh, on the whole, across the state, we're looking at much nicer conditions. Uh, along the northern parts of the coast, though, we are still seeing a number of showers. And in terms of the rainfall totals over the last 24 hours, um, a few places have picked up in excess of 50 millimetres along the north coast. The highest was um, at Doondoon with 105 millimetres of rain. But um, the low pressure system and trough that was generating that rain is weakening and moving away. But we are still going to be seeing those showers persist for the next few days, as well as uh, you know some large and powerful hazardous surf uh, along the far northern parts of the coast as well. But um, inland, quite dry, um, and we are looking at temperatures warming up over the next few days. So maximum temperatures getting into the mid-30s um, across the weekend and through to, to Monday. Um, and then we're going to see a change that's going to cross the far southern parts of the state. So uh, with that, temperatures will be cooling off a, a f- about you know 5 to 10 degrees um, behind that change. Um, and we could see a few more showers, um, although rainfall totals do look as though they're going to remain reasonably light across the south of the state during Monday, along with the chance of a few thunderstorms in and amongst it. So there, there is a, there is a system coming through to bring those to bring those temperatures down, but not bringing a lot of rain with it. Is that the case? 
Look, at the moment it seems as though there'll be a few showers and maybe a thunderstorm or two um, as this system moves across the south of the state on Monday. Um, could see a few, uh, the risk of some you know, severe storms uh, across the southern parts of the ranges on Monday afternoon and evening in particular. But then come Tuesday um, we're looking at a few showers and, and thunderstorms across the eastern parts of the state. Um, but rainfall totals um, seem at the moment to be relatively light from what we have been seeing over, over recent weeks and months. Um, so looking in the order of a couple of millimetres, um, potentially getting up towards 10 or 15 millimetres around the southeast of the state on Monday. But not too much for the inland or not too much uh, affecting the, those catchments as well? No, at the moment for the inland catchments, which are um, you know quite quite wet, as as everyone is very much aware, um, at the moment we're looking at warm and dry conditions over the coming days. And as that system does move through um, on Monday, uh, a couple of millimetres um, seems to be the most likely scenario with any of those showers and or storms that do develop. So um, reasonably dry uh, across the inland for for much of the coming week. Okay, and uh, I'm heading out, so that's good, uh, uh, because uh, we certainly don't want to see too much rain in some of those flood-affected areas, so uh, that's, uh, that's some positive, positive news from the Bureau. Thanks for that, Gabrielle. My pleasure. It's, 20, uh, it's coming up to 23 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour. Well, let's uh, turn our attention to some of those issues on the roads in regards to grain growers as well. They're calling, as we heard yesterday, for federal funding to urgently fix the underfunded regional road network along freight access routes in the lead-up to harvest. They say uh, that the repeated rain has put pressure on the road system and uh, deteriorated roads across western and central parts. We heard from Ian Goulet, who's the director at Grain Growers. He said that the extra costs are piling up and farmers are the ones who are paying. Well, it's just been very restrictive. There's many roads that are unpassable, um, so you need to go a different route um, if there is a different route. Um, which puts a lot of extra costs um, on your on your trip. The other issue is that in some cases there's no other route, so then it's got to be all stored on farm if that's possible and then moved at a later date. But GrainCorp reports that there's no problem with getting access to their silos. Is that also what you're seeing? <laughs> I guess as in you can always get into the actual GrainCorp sites, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can get the road to the site. It might be a, a good use of words on their side. They might be suggesting that you can get into their sites, which you most likely can on the majority of their sites, but that doesn't mean that the road leading into their site is in an acceptable condition. It's certainly a very difficult getting your grain off the farm and into the sites at the moment. Ian Goulet is a director of grain growers there and uh, the harvest across New South Wales. Well, it's slow growing, slow going rather, but uh, Grain Corp says what's come in so far is a better quality than they expected, given the scale and length of the flooding in many parts of the state. Road access, though, remains a challenge, a major challenge for farmers, with the company saying that their silos are all open for business now, but many linking roads are still flooded or damaged. Luke Vanderwerf is the uh, Grain Corp Regional Operations Manager for northern New South Wales and says the receivals are, are late this year but the grain is proving resilient so far. So this time last year we were at least four weeks behind on where we were so roughly at the moment we're only up to about a million tonnes for, for New South Wales combined um, where this time last year we would have been up to about two and a half, three so um, well and truly uh, later 
um, to put it in perspective, um, for, for our region, northern New South Wales, we are only halfway through what we expect to come in. Um, and then yesterday, Victoria actually received more grain um, than we did um, yesterday. So um, that's how far behind it is, is that Victoria is now firing at, at full pace, and, and so are we, where we should be basically on the, on the downhill run, you call it. And then um, Victoria should be what it's doing now is firing up. So, and then you've got the Central West, um, which fits into my region. They're starting up now. Um, they should be halfway through. Um, where southern New South Wales is only just starting as well. So you've got the, the whole east coast um, basically running together at the moment. And so when the harvest in New South Wales is finished, are you expecting the total volumes to be down, given all the flooding across the west and central west? Oh, it's a bit unknown, actually, because um, most growers you talk to, they're, they're quite surprised with the yields. Um, the quality's quite great. We're seeing plenty of different grades, um, for prime hard, um, APH1 in some areas, all the way through to AUH2, H2s, um, some feed wheat and some high-protein feed. So there is, um, we won't know until it's finished um, because every day there's more positivity in what's coming in than there is what's been, um, than what everyone thought. With the amount of rain and the amount of flooding, I'm out in the central west now, there's headers going and they're, they're driving through water and stripping grain. Um, we've got track machines, um, pulling wheat off and that stuff's going into the silos and still making good quality. So it's quite resilient this year, grain has been, and it's quite amazing to see what they've been able to pull off. And what are the biggest challenges you're hearing farmers are facing going into this harvest? Uh, everyone going together, trucks are a problem, people are a problem, and, and road access. Like We've had a lot of sites that we've um, been trying to get ready, um, trying to get equipment into, and, and roads have only just opened up in the last week or so. So it's access, people, uh, um, trucks. Um, there's not as many trucks around as, as there should be, but because, again, because Queensland's going, northern New South Wales, southern and Victoria, um, we've got all these trucks scattered. Um, I know roads are probably one of the biggest challenges is actually getting grain from paddock to silo or depot. Um, everywhere you drive, um, guys are trying to drag grain out of a paddock with a chaser bin um, to a road or an access area where they can actually get a truck in. So that's probably the biggest challenge that I'm seeing and hearing is is just actually getting grain from paddock um, to roads. There's a lot of road access restrictions. Most of our sites are in, in, a, in a main town of some description, so you've got highways that run through them, but there's all them interlinking roads that bring you from a, a farm, all them arterial, arterial roads that try and get you into a main road. They are, what I'm seeing is, are the restrictions. If you're from the Central West, you've got a little lanes, little roadways that at the moment they're either still underwater or, or chopped up. We can get in and out of all of our sites now. Um, we had a few last week that only just opened up. The uh, Tottenham and England Road was, was regularly shutting and so it was from um, Tottenham to Trundle and that was just whenever the flood water came down and then it'd be gone after a couple of days. That was Grain Corp's Luke Vanderwerf, who's the Regional Operations Manager for Northern New South Wales, giving us a bit of an update on how the grain harvest is going in the state. It's coming up to 16 minutes to one. The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, the New South Wales Government has commenced a five-year statutory review of native vegetation provisions under the Local Land Services Act of 2013. Reforms for the, from the previous review 
saw the uh, loosening of restrictions for farmers to manage native vegetation on their own property. However, the implementation of a controversial mapping tool has proved increasingly frustrating for land managers who say that too much tape, too much red tape remains. Paul Shoker from the Coffs Harbour branch of New South Wales Farmers Federation says that uh, he hopes the review will address the mapping tool, telling our reporter Tina Quinn that uh, many are actually questioning its accuracy. You know, there are still some opportunities to see elimination of red tape in around land management. And also, I think it's important to highlight the importance of land management and active land management as opposed to the previous sort of locking up land and forgetting about it. We have a lot of pre-existing activities on farmland which hasn't been recognised and a lot of landholders have had to sort of, you know, revert back to, you know, old photographs to prove that land was, you know, once upon a time cleared. I'm guessing you're touching on the, the mapping tool then? Yes, that's right, yeah. So do you share a lot of farmers' concerns around that tool then that was devised as, as part of the reform? I know it's been a fairly divisive debate between many farmers and environmentalists, so you, you, you share those concerns. Yeah, the, the mapping is something that, um, you know, isn't easy to do. Um, you know, I know a lot, a lot of our landholders and farmers here have expressed concerns around the mapping and, um, you know, the various codes, but I guess it's just something that, you know, we've got to work through. Uh, and we have done that as well. You know, we've um, had meetings here in halls where we've sat down and, you know, gone through individual landholders' issues and, um, and that's, you know, the local land services has done a fair, fair bit of good work there as well. Do you understand, though, some of the, the concerns that, that are being brought up by the review and, and, and that environmentalists have around, I guess, around more what you call red tape being removed? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's about a balance because what we are also seeing is that there is increased competition for land as well. So, you know, generally, a land in New South Wales was cleared for agricultural pursuits, but we're seeing, especially in our, in our mid-north coast region, that land is being bobbled up by res- increased residential development. Um, we're also seeing, in some parts of the state, um, more farmland being converted into um, solar farms and uh, renewable energies. So... You know, we are in a situation where, you know, we are losing a lot of land to other uses and we need to ensure that, you know, we can sustain our population and our industries. I think ultimately if we can um, work around striking the best balance for the environment and also uh, food production, I think that would be a sensible uh, path. You know, there are a number of landholders here in our region who have successfully used the new codes to improve their agricultural practices, but... I think increasingly we are also seeing farmers are looking to work with the environment as opposed to against the environment. So there is a, a change in the mindset there as well. And do you think that's a positive change? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think if we can strike a balance where farmers can continue to be profitable and also viable long term, uh, I think uh, that will also show that when farmers are um, sustainable and you know, able to make a profit, that can then also result in better outcomes for the environment because you can afford to look after um, the environment better as well. Paul Shoker from New South Wales Farmers Association. However, Jackie Mumford from the Nature Conservation Council of New South Wales says that restrictions need to be tightened rather than loosened, citing concerns over the destruction of koala habitat. Look, I think the review is actually an opportunity to reset how we're managing habitat and and fix what is a really critical problem for a bunch of iconic species across New South Wales.
hopefully the review will expose the reality of uh, what the what the changes uh, to how um, land management is done in New South Wales and the changes came in um, five years ago. Um, you know what we've seen as a result of that is a, a huge decline in uh, habitat for. Um, some you know really iconic species across the state. So we're hoping the review really identifies that, um, and that you know the government takes it as an opportunity to revisit how we're doing land management in order to reset how it's done um, and turn the trajectory that we're currently on around. When you say that there's been a huge amount of native habitat that's been decimated, really, uh, as a mm. result of, of the new provisions that came in, or a, I guess the mm. loosening of the restrictions, mm. what exactly, what are you basing that off? What sort of reports and data are you basing that off? So that comes from the government's own data, that rates of land clearing have doubled since the Act was brought in. They, they use satellite imaging to measure the rates of land clearing across the state. Uh, So parts of that land clearing that has increased is important habitat for species um, that have been uplisted from vulnerable... For example, the koala has gone from being vulnerable to endangered in New South Wales. Right, but when you mention the fact that koalas have become an endangered species in the state, are you taking into account the other environmental factors that have contributed to this, such as you know the, the devastating bushfires that we've had or the fact that urban development overall is, is increasing? Or are, are you insinuating that this is largely at the feet of land clearing that's, that's being undertaken on farms? Yeah, look, absolutely. The bushfires were devastating for... Uh, for koalas and even more reason that we should be protecting what habitat remains. Currently over 95% of koala habitat on private land is not protected uh, and koala habitat can be cleared for grazing and as you mentioned koalas are under threat from a variety of factors. There was the bushfires um, you know they're at risk of diseases such as chlamydia um, in closer to urban areas dog attacks and car strikes you know so the poor koala is really under attack from multiple uh, directions um, and it's absolutely critical that we protect their habitat So, you know, in the first instance so that they can uh, you know, have the best chance at, at increasing numbers. Do you accept, though, that the mapping tool that's currently being used has, has proven to be inaccurate when it comes to, to correctly identifying what needs vital protection and, and what doesn't? Yeah, that's right, and it's not consistent. There's not a there's not a consistent approach approach for how we map koala habitat across the state. Um, so, you know, at at the moment, local governments have a much clearer picture of koala habitat across their own LGAs, and you know, not all LGAs have that uh, have those um, koala plans of management in place. So, really, what needs to happen is a state based approach. Uh, you know, I said about having a holistic approach to mapping koala habitat across the state, and it needs to be more consistent um, and all in, all in one place. Jackie Mumford from the Nature Conservation Council of New South Wales speaking there to Tina Quinn. On the country hour, it's nine minutes to one. Well, a court has handed down the largest ever fine in Australian history on a labour hire firm for breaching licensing rules. The Supreme Court of Victoria issued fines of more than $386,000 to UNG services and $96,000 to director Nico Keat after the firm's licence to operate was cancelled for trying to circumvent labour laws. Here's Victorian Labour Hire Commissioner Steve Dargaville. 
the labour hire business tried to avoid the labour hire licensing scheme. The scheme is there to protect vulnerable workers. The director uh, tried to avoid the scheme, was found out, and the court uh, awarded a penalty of $483,000, elements to go against the company, but also to the director personally for his attempt to uh, circumvent the licensing scheme. How did the the company and the director try and circumvent the the scheme itself? The director applied for a labour hire licence. He wasn't a fit and proper person. Um, He had a number of serious convictions. Uh, He was refused a licence. Another gentleman applied for a licence, obtained a licence, and then the first gentleman popped himself uh, on as the sole director of the second business. So it was an attempt to circumvent the checks that are there to protect vulnerable workers. The authority took the view that that kind of attempt to avoid uh, protection of workers was uh, not right and we took the matter to court and the judge awarded significant penalties for uh, the the attempted avoidance of the licensing scheme. Do you know what type of of produce or work that this particular company was engaged in in either harvesting or, or working in? Uh, the business was supplying work, uh, workers or seeking to supply workers in the Arrow Valley and um, is no longer operating. Over $386,000 of fines to the company, $96,000 in fines to the individual. What does that judgment say about the, the strengthening of, of laws to, to licence labour hire in the state? What the judgment says to business is that if you're trying to circumvent the rules and trying to get around the rules and uh, do the wrong thing, you will be found out and you'll pay a very heavy uh, price, not just for your business, but for you personally. And that uh, the consequence of trying to dodge the law at the expense of vulnerable workers will cost you dearly. That's Victorian Labor High Commissioner Steve Dargaville talking to Warwick Long. Well, next year, MLA will release the first live indicators for young cattle, lamb and mutton. It's uh, the first time it'll be released, 2023. Several new features have been added. Uh, All the indicators will be live after every sale is completed. The price will be updated, not just at the end of every day, and users will also be able to filter for weight ranges within each indicator. Ripley Atkinson is the Senior Market Analyst at MLA talking about the changes. Yeah, that's that's the case, Michael. So for the first time ever, uh, as for industry, we're offering these indicators that will be updated once those sales are completed across the country. So rather than being updated once a day, they will be live throughout the day and, and users of the indicators will be able to see that every time those sales come, come into the system. Which will be quite useful for those people that are online buying or at the sale yards as well on their phone, they can track it. Very much so, and and we know users are uh, users of our content are engaging with it quite significantly in a digital capacity, and the way markets are moving in in the modern um, modern red red meat and livestock space, having access to that really timely, relevant, and accurate information is important for those users of our products to to make business decisions through that that informed information we're we're, we're providing. A young cattle, so you, that's the uh, there is a young cattle ind- indicator, but that's that'll be changed slightly, and and lamb and mutton as well. So some some changes for those three. 
the changes that we're uh, we're we're bringing in for for those for the young lamb uh, for the lamb sorry mutton and young cattle will actually be our first step or, or the industry's first step into seeing um, publicly available pricing information for the online marketplace. So so those indicators for the uh, for the young cattle will be provided in cents per kilo live weight, the same same way cattle are transacted uh, in the marketplace. And for uh, the online lamb and online mutton indicators, they'll be in cents per kilo carcass weight, the same way we see them transacted in, in their respective marketplaces as well. So there hasn't actually been publicly available pricing information or indicators for the online marketplace and, and in 2023 um, MLA will be providing that in an indicator capacity. And you're also sort of uh, having different segments for different weights and, and different sizes, that sort of thing, so people can you know judge like for like. Yeah, that's correct. So the really important thing from our perspective is providing as much information as possible to the user in a, in a format that is able to be bespoken, tailored to their needs. So users will be able to filter the weight ranges um, and the fat and muscle scores within each indicator um, on a state level and on a regional level within within where they're, they're located or where they're looking to market or, or purchase their their animals. So within certain weights or within certain breeds even perhaps as well? At the minute breeding uh, or breed data isn't um, isn't filtered in, in our traditional indicators. You are able to to filter that in the in the store reports that um, we provide like like any market report um, across the country. So you can access that breed information in the store reports we um, we produce each week and fortnight. Right, but it, so there's more about that weight indicator that those and within those sort of certain segments you've got it broken down. That's that's correct, yeah, and it's really just about providing the user that tailored information so they're getting the most accurate and relevant data to what they need to understand or support their business decisions with both buying and selling. Ripley Atkinson there, who's a senior market analyst at Meat and Livestock Australia. Let's go to Griffith Sheep and Lambs now and Graham Richard. Good afternoon. Lamb numbers fell to 1,100 and the quality was mixed. There were a few heavyweight lambs that sold well, while the lighter and plainer lambs were heavily discounted. There were several large drafts of hoggets. New season lambs to restock sold between 50 and $122 a head. Only a few heavy new season lambs were penned and they ranged from 180 to 236 remaining firm. Heavy shorn four-score lambs were similar in price and they sold from 178 to 262 Trades were cheaper with most selling between 120 and 145. Hoggets sold to a cheaper trend. The trade hoggets 26 kilos 90 to 134. The heaviest hoggets 110 to 150. Only a small offering of mutton. Medium weight sheep sold the best, ranging from 70 to 92, while the heavyweights 90 to 110. And this has been Graham Richard. You've been listening to The Country Hour. That's the market information for today. A reminder, we were talking to the SES earlier, and uh, if you need assistance, uh, people do need assistance still out there, uh, the best number to call, uh, quick and easy, 132-500 is the number to uh, call assistance, and they'll put you through to the appropriate authorities if they need to as well. On The Country Hour, it's coming up to news time, 1 o'clock.